that old manner of life, the old spiritual deadness that we used to walk in, that manner of life, we put that off. And now we walk in the new manner of life, the new self, to be who you truly are. And that's a new creation, made in the image of God, being made more in the image of God. And what we're going to see in our text this morning is that Paul lists many negative commands, many negative commands, but with those negative commands, he actually lists positive to go alongside with them. So it's not just about don't, 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 stop, stop. Instead, it's adding something to it. Start doing, not just stop doing this, start doing these things now. And that's what's going to be the foundation underneath what we read this morning. And that's what we're going to look at, is the positives of that. We're going to look at all of it, but those are going to, those are going to be our, our, our points this morning. But let's read, let's read our passage. Let's read our passage this morning. Now, we're going to, now our text is 25 through 5-2, but we're going to get a running start here in verse 20. This is going to help us get a little bit of context. So Ephesians 4, verse 20. That's what it says. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, because of that, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would meet us this morning. Meet us in your kindness, in your mercy, in your goodness.
meet us in your love this morning. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would, you would fill me as I preach, that I'd be able to preach confidently and clearly. I pray that you would fill, fill each and every person here as, as they sit and they listen and they hear your word, your word of truth, your word that has power, your word that can transform their life. Against all doubts, Lord, it can do this very thing. And so I pray that you, that you bring that confidence to them, knowing that, that when we hear your word preached, it will not return void. It does something inside of us. And so move in the hearts of those who hear your word this morning. Move in them that they may see your love and they may live in a way that is in accordance with your love towards us. Forgiving one another and being patient with one another. These are not easy tasks and we cannot do them without you. So be with us this morning as we listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we just read was what the new self looks like when lived out together. That's what we just read. The new self is governed by love, which does away with words and deeds incompatible with life together in the church. Let me say that again. The new self is governed by love, which does away with words and deeds incompatible with life together in the church. This is not merely a list of do's and don'ts. It is that, but it is not merely that. It is a better way of living. It is God's way of living for us in the church. The church is what God is doing in the world. And when we see that borne out, living with one another, why wouldn't we want to throw ourselves fully into that? A place that tells the truth? A place that practices patience? Doesn't steal but shares? Speaks words that build up? And forgives? Again and again and again? That sounds like a place I would want to be. It should be. And it's also a place that when, when lived out, our neighbors see it. And they want it. They desire it. How could they not? They're in the image of God. And that's what he created them to be. But if we're being honest, and we look at this list of virtues and vices. And we want to, to live out these virtues and put away the vices. It can bring discouragement. It can bring discouragement because we've been there before. We've tried it before. I'm guessing this is not the first time you've heard do things like this. Be kind and forgive. And don't have anger and wrath towards one another. This isn't the first time we've heard this. We've tried it. We know it. And we have failed. And it can bring discouragement. It's because our old self is never completely absent from us in this life. 
The lingering effects are, are not completely absent. So lying and anger and corrupting talk and bitterness, they're always close at hand. They're there. So how do we live this life walked out in love when all attempts to rid of these things keeps failing? We read these commands and, and, and we see progress, and there is progress, but it's, it just seems to be so minimal. It's not where we want to be. And so we lose hope. We can lose hope. But I don't want us to see that here. That is not Paul's desire. That is not God's desire. That's not my desire for us this morning. It's for us to see hope. That we can actually, truly walk in love and live out these commands. That can happen. It's expected of us. And it can happen. That's what I want to leave us with this morning. And let me just say, we do this already. Cross of Grace, you do this already. And you do this well. We just heard a testimony of it with Karen and Manny. That you do community well. And I would agree and say amen to that. Let's continue to do it. Let's continue to press on to these things. These good things. These right things for us. So we have five points this morning. Don't worry. Doesn't mean it's a long sermon. Okay, five points still fit in, same amount of time. They're going to be briefer. Some of them are briefer points, some of them are a little bit longer. But they're just points just born out of the text from what Paul says. These are just Paul's commands. But because I want us to see the hope, I'm not saying we're going to dismiss the, the don'ts. There's a lot of don'ts we need to pay attention to. But I really want us to see the positives that we're putting on and not just taking off. So the five points are going to be those positives this morning. First point is speak the truth. Speak the truth. That's verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Therefore, right? We already said this earlier. Not the way you learn Christ. Put off the old and put on the new, being renewed in the spirit of your minds. This reality of being a new self, a new creation, is the basis for the transformation that should take place in your life. It has happened. The result of the gospel applied to your life is that you've become new. You are new. So it's not only possible that this can happen, but it's expected because of who you are. So having put off falsehood, having put off falsehood, removing the old self, since that has happened, speak the truth with your neighbor. Speak the truth with your neighbor. And why? Because we're members one of another. That, that's the focus here this morning. That's the focus with Paul in this text, is that the neighbor, the neighbor specifically in this context, is, is us, the church. Members one of another. It doesn't mean we speak falsely to the world. But in this text, that's what it is. That's what we're talking about. And the reason undergirding it is because we're part of the same body. We're members one of another. Speak the truth. Colossians 3, Paul says the same thing. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self. Don't lie because that has happened. This is part of the unifying theme that we've seen throughout this book. Don't lie to your family. Don't lie to your brothers and sisters. 
or even yourself because you are part of the body. You are part of this same organism. What he's saying is that a lie isn't just a lie. It's not just a sin that you've committed. It actually affects other people. It actually affects the body. Like a disease that you might get even in your finger, it affects the body, the whole body, because it's one organism functioning together. This is why we don't lie to each other. When you were baptized, you were baptized into a body of believers and now are a part of that body. And when one part of the body hurts, the body feels it. The person, the self, feels it. And we just witnessed that this morning. We just added six new members to this local body. Right? And they committed to live out the gospel with us. How appropriate is it for us to be in this passage this morning to see that? That God would have us see that this morning. Watch us live it out and watch us cheer it on as we add new members to this local body. And what a joy that is. Now this truth telling here, this, this isn't merely swapping a lie for the truth when someone asks. It's, it goes deeper than that. It's creating a family culture that speaks honestly and openly. Honestly and openly. Confessing your sins to one another. If you've sinned against your brother, who's a part of this same body, confess. Tell the truth about what you've done. Even if you're not asked, tell the truth about what you've done. God blesses this. He's designed it this way. This is what he wants from us. Another way of doing this is being vulnerable. Being vulnerable with one another. Sharing your life with one another. Especially in small groups. This kind of honesty is what we want in our homes. And since the church is a family, members of of God's household, we ought to also practice it here. And in small groups, that is a context designed to really live this out. That's where we can really live this out. That's the setting. That's how we live life together. And it's many times the best place to practice the one another's. God speaks truth. There's no lying in God. He speaks truth. And because we're made in his image, we also ought to speak truth. And we see why. Members, one of another, it affects others. Let's continue on to point number two. This is verses 26 to 27. And, and this, is, this is, have short-lived anger. Have short-lived anger. Read verses 26 and 27 with me. Paul says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry is less of the the command here, but rather a recognition that sometimes there are occasions for it. But even in those occasions, it's still easy to, to fall into sin. This is why we see so many cautions around us using anger. James says, be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are cautions around it because it, it, it is a tricky emotion for us. And let's look at that caution a little, a little more closely here. He's, Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
and give no opportunity for the devil. Now, how literally do we take this? If you begin a fight at 10.45 p.m. with your spouse, are you to not go to bed until you resolve that? I mean, I don't think so. Uh, could, be, could suit you well to get a good night's sleep and have a clear mind and resolve that in the morning. But let me say this at the same time, that my wife and I have practiced this for many years in our marriage. And I'll tell you what, it helps. Sometimes we stay up a little late resolving it, but it gives us a time frame. It, 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 helps, it helps us kind of keep the heart of, of this, which is the brevity of your anger. Don't let it stir. Don't let it fester. Don't let it stay in there. That's what letting the sun go down. It's proverbial. Don't let it last long. And if you have to use before you go to bed, that, that can help. Great, then that can help. But don't let it, don't let it sit in there. And why is that? Because it gives an opportunity for the devil. The Greek word here for opportunity is actually tapas, like topography. It's a place. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's a location. Don't give a place for the devil to do his work in your anger. Just like any war, right? Any war, what you try to stop the enemy from doing is advancing ground on you, right? You have to keep them back. Otherwise, they advance and they do their work. This is a spiritual war. We saw this in chapter three. We're gonna see this more in chapter six, that any unchecked sin, so specifically anger here, but any of these unchecked sins give up ground to the enemy. They give up ground. These commands that we have are for the peace and unity of the church, which have cosmic involvement. We read this in chapter 3. I'm going to read it again. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might might be made known to the rulers and authority and authorities in heavenly places. There's cosmic involvement in this. A guy named Ambrose, a fourth century theologian, says, An angry mind will necessarily think evil thoughts as the devil desires. If the devil finds a mind ready for evil and slipping toward it, he deceives the person who was created for life. The thought you see is human, but the devil completes it. You're giving an inroad to the devil when you let your anger fester. I'm sure every hand can go up in this room that you've seen that happen. You've seen it continue to propel. Paul is not talking here about a life completely free from anger, but making sure that the anger is dealt with before it gives the devil ground to increase it. Now, I'm not going to mention the exact mechanism of, of how this happens in the spiritual realm. I'm, but it's a life lived out in sin that leads to evil spirits getting footholds in people's life. And in an unbeliever, that becomes possession. Right? We, we went through Mark a while ago. We saw a lot of people possessed by evil spirits. But as a believer... We can still be influenced by the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone who continues to hold on and to justify their anger. And he finds that inroad. He finds that foothold and he exploits it. 
Be done with it quickly. Resolve it. Resolve it before the, the sun goes down. Let's continue on. The third point. Third point is work hard so you have something for those in need. This is verse 28. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal. Don't, don't steal things. Don't steal possessions. But also, don't steal time. If you're, if you're at work and you're supposed to be on the clock and you know you're getting paid on the, walk, on the clock and you're, and you're not working, that can be stealing time. Don't steal ideas. You, you take someone else's idea and you, you pawn it off as your own. You represent it as, as your own. Or accolades. If someone else is, is fully deserving of something and you know it, and someone else gives you the credit and you take it and keep it, this would be stealing. This would be taking something that is not yours. So instead, instead, work hard. Labor honestly so you can earn something that you can share with others. Honest labor is littered throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Proverbs. The sluggard. The sluggard, someone who, who lets everyone else do what he ought to do, leading to a life of poverty. The person who, Proverbs says, can't even lift their own face from their dish as they're eating it. This idea of uh, a life lived apart from diligent hard work leads to poverty, leads to theft. But then there's the diligent. The same Proverbs, contrasting it, there's the diligent who make good use of their hands, make good use of their minds. They steward well all that God has given them to share with others. God is a God of works, creating the world and sustaining it, and Jesus is our high priest, continuing to plead for us now. God works. Let us continue to work hard and honestly. Like most of these negative commands here, this, is, this isn't just about subtraction, right, but addition. Not only stop taking, but start adding. These are just complete opposite ideas here that Paul has. You could, he could say, stop stealing. Just stop, and that, that would be good. That would be nice. But he actually says, now let that thief, that thief who stole, who took away, who subtracted from you, go work hard. So now he can actually add something to it. When you do honest work, you acquire wages and possessions. And when this happens, you'll have money and things to give to those who need. Now, there does require an attentiveness here that we know who is in need of something. So we, we pay attention to those in the church. And then your diligent labor, your hard, honest labor will supply their need. It's a means in which God blesses them. What a joy it is to be able to supply that need for someone else, the way God has designed it. Also, what a joy it is to receive that. Instead of stealing, guys, there's a better way. God has given us the church to fulfill those, those needs, to give to one another. That's how he's designed it. designed it. We don't need to steal. We don't need to take. 
God is happy to provide for those in need through others in the church. And I'll tell you, Kaylee and I, my wife and I, have gone through seasons where of plenty and of not much. There's been a big up and down the last 11 years. And we have been benefactors of many people's generous uh, giving to us. I'll tell you what, it's good. It's good. I mean, it is, it is a wonderful thing, a joy to see God provide through other people. And then you be able to do the same, to be that means in which God provides. So let that be a joy. Don't steal, don't take. Let God provide through his church as he is designed. Let that happen. Let's continue on here. Point number four. Speak in a way that builds up. Verses 29 to 30. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let no corrupting words come out of your mouth. Your words are important. Your words are weighty. For better or for worse, they are weighty. They matter. Listen to what James 3 says. James talks a lot about the tongue. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. This disease talk is not compatible with a life governed by love. It tears down what God is building up. It sets ablaze a fire. Think about the effect you can have when you talk with those here in the church, in small groups, or with your kids at home, or with your spouse. How easy is it to be critical toward your spouse? As a husband, you could, you could not be getting the respect you think you deserve, so you demand it from her with harsh words. You could be overly critical of how she does or doesn't do anything around the house. Or coming home from work, you're tired and, and uh, the, the food isn't ready or the clothes haven't been clean or whatever it is, you might come home and be overly critical of those things. Wherever that dynamic works, you can be overly critical of your spouse. And as a wife, you might say he isn't leading and loving and encouraging you the way you want, so you take shots at him wherever you can. You never help out. You're, you're just doing things the way that you want to do them. You always continue to think of yourself. Or how easy it is to come down hard on your kids. When they continue to be disobedient, you use shame and you use guilt and you use threats to bring them back into line. These words have an impact on them. They matter. Or more generally, just gossip. To agree with negative comments made about someone behind their back. This grieves God who is in you. This grieves the Holy Spirit who has sealed your fate and has given to you the continual power to do good works. And your speech is a part of that. Yes, you can grieve God. He is a personal God. 
The Holy Spirit isn't a force, but a person who can be grieved. We just heard it from Angie this morning, and we just sang it. Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you. He is personal, and he can be grieved. So instead, instead, use words that build up and give grace. Almost had to do a double take when I read over that line again. You can give grace by your words. How incredible is that to read? That you can impart grace in that way. Listen to this from Proverbs 16. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words can have that effect on someone. Paul knows his Bible. He knows Proverbs. He knows that grace-filled words lift the soul and the body. They can bring health to someone in that way. And if you've been a recipient of gracious words, you know this to be true. You know the weightiness of them. You know what they can do, the kind of effect they can have on your life. This kind of ministry isn't just for the gifted people who have very timely words. This is for the whole church. Paul has in view here the whole church to practice this ministry. Now when the opportunity arises, as fits the occasion, your words can light a fire or they can give grace. They can tear down or they can build up. It can be like honey to the soul and the body, to your friends, to your spouse, or to your kids. Words have this much of an effect on people's souls and their bodies and their minds. That it can build them up, that it can bring unity to the church, that it can glorify God by letting the world see how we speak to one another. Let's continue on here with point number five, the last point. Cultivate kindness and tender mercy. We're going to read verse 31 and 32 here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you notice this list, there seems to be some sort of progression that Paul is using. From an inward feeling of bitterness, to becoming angry, to shouting, to slandering someone's name. And it starts with the bitterness. Let all these things that don't accord with walking in love be put away completely, to be done with all bitterness. Don't don't think it's okay to harbor some bitterness and still live a healthy spiritual life. Put it away while it's in seed form, before it becomes anger and wrath and shouting and slander. Get rid of it as it sits in there. James takes us through the same kind of progression. That desires, when fully conceived, become sin, and when sin gives birth to death. There's a progression happening there. That's what we see in this text as well. One commentator writes on this. The church 
is a portal to the realm of heaven and of eschatological realities that must be kept in mind by its members. For the enemy of peace and the work of God wants nothing more than that the church be torn apart with fury, hostilities, and all other malevolent effects of unresolved anger or bitterness. That's what the devil wants. Those are the opportunities that he's looking for. It must be kept in mind that our unity really does matter, even on a cosmic scale. Not just the individual, but those unresolved attitudes towards one another that, that the enemy uses to tear the church apart. And something as we are reading, you may, you may have caught, uh, Paul says, let all of this be put away from you. This is, a, this is a passive command, which, which really means something that's done to you, which then leads to the question, how can, I, how can I make something happen to me? This is where, where cultivating kindness and tender mercy comes in. So even, even if you've gotten to the point, and you can agree with everything that Paul is saying, yes, do all of that, and, and no, don't do that, you might ask the question, how? How then do I, do I do this? You put yourself in position to become kind and to become tender-hearted. That's the passive command here. Put yourself in position for these things to put off and for the new self to be put on. I got a kind of a funny illustration here. We won't run with too much, but uh, I asked my son the other night, three years old, I asked my son the other night to put on his diaper and he's three. He can't put on his own diaper. But what I was saying to him was, put yourself in position to have your diaper put on. Because that's the last thing we do before we go to bed. He could get his clothes changed. He could brush his teeth. He could eat his last snack, which he always does right before bed. He can do these things to put himself in position for his diaper to be put on. Okay, That's what the passive command looks like right there. And we'll, we won't go further with that one. Let's, let's continue here. Let's finish off this last few verses. Read with me in the second half of, of 32 through 5 verse 2. So, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Forgive one another as God forgave you. That's how you can forgive. Because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven, therefore you can forgive. It's not the law that frees us from the old self and the old man or life. It's the gospel. Though there are many commands here, one of which, do not steal, is, a, is one of the Ten Commandments. Paul grounds this whole thing in the gospel. He grounds all of these do's and don'ts in the gospel. What God has done. Because even when we were enemies of God, he forgave us. When our offenses abound, he forgives us. When we've already confessed, repented, and grieved our sin, and then do it again. 
He forgives us. Every don't in this passage, we're all guilty of many times over. And yet in his love and mercy, he forgives us. And not only, that wasn't enough. Not only does he forgive us, he actually loves us. He loves you. Christ's love for you is what motivated him to be this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's his love that motivated him. This is why Paul can say in Galatians, the, the, the famous line, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, you have a license to personalize this. He loved you and gave himself for you. His his hanging on the cross accomplished something. It accomplished forgiveness for all of your sins, even the ones you haven't yet done. And his love for you is what drove him to do this. When Jesus was resurrected and ascended, he gave his spoils to the church. He shared everything with us. He gave us gifts. He speaks the truth to us that sets us free. His anger was diverted at the cross, and now it's mercy. Jesus does these things toward us. Through his spirit, he builds us up and he encourages us. For those of you who are here this morning and you don't know Christ and continue to live in the way of of these negative attributes and, and characteristics, this is the better way. And you can live this way. Turn from your sins and trust in his forgiveness and in his spirit to indwell you and redeem you and make you new. Trust in his goodness and his power to be able to do that. It's not the law that frees us. It's God's love toward us. This, this is the motivation for us to imitate him and to walk in love. And this gets to more of the, the how. Paul has given us many of the what's, and he's given us the why's, the reasons behind a lot of these commands, the how. And this is what I want us to, to, to leave you with, the how. If you think deeply and often about these truths that we just talked about, God's love for you in Christ and his forgiveness towards you over and over again, that you are forgiven and made new, and that his love is the motivation for that factor, don't you think that would start to produce a kind and tender heart? If you thought about how much you've actually been forgiven, all that you've done toward a God who loves you, enough to send his own son to die for you, if you think about that, and your good friend or your spouse 
or your kid offends you or sins against you, do you think you'd be in a better position to forgive them? If you've just thought about God's forgiveness towards you and what you've done to him? If you meditated on how much God loves you, that he thought of you before he even made the world to predestine you to be adopted into his family without having done anything to earn it? Wouldn't it be a little bit more difficult to respond to your spouse in anger if those were the things that you're meditating upon? Dwelling upon and immersing yourself in the love of God toward you softens your heart towards others. I'll leave you with this. You are a beloved child of God. And Christ loved you so much, he gave himself up for you. Therefore, imitate him. And walk in love with those in the church. Walk in love toward your spouse. Walk in love toward your kids. Let the love of God motivate you and the Spirit of God empower you to follow the pattern set before us as we read in his word this morning. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. You are so kind to us. I pray that as we read and heard your word this morning, that it would impact us, that we would leave this morning confidently knowing that your spirit is at work in us, that the gospel is what propels us, that you do expect these things from us, but at the same time, we can do them. And that, and that we wouldn't give up hope, that when we try and we continue to go down this journey of life and we, and we fail at these things, that your grace abounds in our life and that your mercy is there for us and that your spirit empowers us and that we continue on doing these things because that's the life that you've called us to. That is the better way of life. We need your strength. We depend on you fully and completely for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.